happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. Download the DraftKings app, use the promo code CHAIL to get in on all the action. Guys, coming up on today's show, we're talking everything UFC 274 at the end of the episode. I'll give you my official curse. I mean predictions. But before we get to those, I want to dive into the biggest storylines around some of those fights, beginning with the main event. Justin Gaethje came out. Now, he was revealing his game plan for Oliveira. Oliveira had given the same thing a week ago. Oliveira said, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to stand with him. I even came and asked you guys the question, does Oliveira have a choice? So Oliver is wrestling good enough to change that, or is he going to have to stand and trade with it? But Gaethje now says he's going to do the uh, same thing, but he got more specific. I really appreciated this. Justin Gaethje said he has to be moving forward. And he said his entire career, in his entire career, he's only not gone forward one time and it was against Khabib. He said it was a mistake and I will never do it again. And he is right. Justin Gaethje fought could be very different. He looked timid. It doesn't mean he was. You can look timid without being timid. It turns out, perhaps he wasn't afraid to get uh, near Khabib. He was going to use lateral movement. He was going to go backwards. That's what it sounds like, right? He's doing anything but going forward. And that is true. He did not want to engage with Khabib. So I like the idea very much. I like that he learned from that. I like that he addressed it. I like that he admitted to it. And Justin did look different in that fight. It is glaringly obvious for me now that he has told me, but that's exactly what it was. Yeah, he wasn't going forward. It's exactly what that was. And you can't back up with Khabib. Khabib does not want to take you down more than anything. Khabib does not want to punch you in the face more than anything. Khabib does not want to strangle you more than anything. Khabib wants to put you into the fence more than anything. That is number one. Strategy number one, priority number one with Khabib. So if you're not going forward, yeah, you're going to run into that fence. Very relevant. And I'm only going back to it because Justin touched on it, right? And anytime that you have a mistake or you have a performance, not an outcome, Outcome, you got to let that go. If you have a performance that you didn't like, something has to change. Justin weighed in on this. Now, I would go a step further. I'm not going to get my way. But I want Justin to go forward. And if Oliveira comes forward too, now what do you have, guys? You have a wrestling match. It's one of the things that makes wrestling work. Without that component, wrestling doesn't work. Are you aware of that? Did you know in wrestling, you must either stand your ground or you must be going forward? If you back up, it's illegal. You do it again, they'll take a point away. They'll take another point away. They'll disqualify you. You must stand your ground or go forward. And I bring that to you because Justin Gaethje should be throwing more people down. Right? The rules of the octagon have changed many times. The one constant from 1993 until today is take a guy down and beat him up. It is the only thing that hasn't gone out of fashion. It is the only thing that worked in 1993 and still works in 2022. There is no other technique. There is no other strategy that has not been manipulated and or modified except for that. And Gagey has that skill. He never does it. He does it in the practice room. He practices on the ground. I would bet whatever the limit was, if it was just a straight line bet, can Oliveira submit Gagey from his back? No, he's not going to submit him from his back. I get that he could do it. I don't I don't want to hear the back and forth on that. But in all fairness, no, it's not very likely. And neither is any other opponent that Gaethje has ever faced. Gaethje doesn't like to go to that position as good as he is. As much of his life as he worked 
on being great at putting somebody there in MMA doesn't do it. I've never seen anybody quite as stubborn as Gaethje. And the only comparison I could even give you is Dan Henderson. Dan Henderson made two Olympic teams. He was the outstanding wrestler of the United States National Wrestling Tournament. When's the last time you saw Dan take somebody down? When's the last time he tried? When's the last time he needed to with that age part, right? It was one of those things. But most guys, it comes back and bites them in the ass. Eventually, it bit Johnny Hendricks in the ass. Eventually, it bit Josh Koscheck in the ass. Like, if you're a wrestler, you need to go out there and you need to wrestle. Been true for everybody except for Justin Gaethje. And I do like the idea that he's moving forward. And I also think that takes down the reach of Oliveira. That will also limit a lot of the tax by Oliveira. Because Oliveira is very diverse. Specifically, in comparison to Justin. Justin is not. He's going to kick your leg below the knee extremely hard, and he's going to go ones and twos. He's going to bury his chin, and he's never going to quit. It's extremely basic. Oliveira hits you with a spinning roundhouse kick. He'll come this way with an elbow. He'll jump in the air into you. If you're going forward, you will take all of that away. I mean, it's a, it's a very important game plan because I have never personally seen or been part of, even from a fan perspective or analyst, a fight that I am less certain about. And I'm well, I'm well aware I get them wrong all the time, guys. But I'm sure, I'm still sure, even if I end up being wrong, I'm still sure in my position. I do not know who's going to win this match. I think you have a stand-up fight. I think you have a kickboxing fight. I don't think you should. I think you should have a dirty boxing, do some damage, take him down, and control him fight by Gaethje. I'm not going to get my way. If I found out I was, if Justin, I got Justin alone and I could tell he was shooting straight with me and, hey, he's, he's going to go take this guy down. He's going to put him in the fence. He's going to keep him there. He's going to grind some elbows. I w Oh, my goodness. I, I would no longer be torn. For sure. At least in my mind. But I would be completely confident Justin Gaethje is going to leave there champion of the world. I am more confident now that I hear what he's saying and I know he means it. I know he means it because he qualified it against his match with Khabib. And guys, there's something going on with Justin Gaethje. I hope I hope one of the reporters, I hope John Morgan, I hope Brett Okamoto, Errol Hawani hears this and steals it and goes and asks Gaethje the question. But the Justin Gaethje timeline has a gap. And none of us know what happened in that gap. Justin Gaethje was red hot. Justin Gaethje was the champion. Justin Gaethje's salary, Justin Gaethje's in there with Khabib. Justin Gaethje disappeared. I want to know what he did. I want to know what that was like. Just personal. I'm just personally curious. When you have these great competitors, you'll always get lost in the X's and the O's of the technique. But it's always the intangibles that separated them from the pack. I'll give you a great example. Daniel Cormier, doing a show called UFC Tonight. Our boss over there was Steve Becker. Daniel Cormier loses to John Jones and doesn't show up for work. Tells Becker, I need some time off. So Becker's calm going, Daniel, you're a huge star. This is a huge fight. If you're going to make a statement, you need to make it here where you work. You need to let us get the attention, us get the credit. Like Becker was saying everything right. Becker is correct. Daniel works there. Daniel needs to show up. Daniel said, no, so I'm not coming in. I'm not coming in next week. I'm not coming in the next week. Becker said, why, Daniel? Get back on the horse. Daniel said, no, I'm hurting. Becker said, that's okay. Come tell the world that. Daniel said, no, you're not understanding. As soon as I come out to the world, as soon as I speak about this, it'll take the pain away. I want to hurt. I need this pain. I have to remember 
how John Jones made me feel. I have to dwell on this. I have to be depressed. I have to lock myself down. And Daniel, who's dealt with adversities and come back and done great, that he knew himself. He knew himself. And he was right. It was a huge part of the Daniel story that never gets told until right now. I maintain that pain and that lockdown and that solitude that Daniel forced himself to do as a way of revigorating and getting the motivation is what led him to the world championship. Oh, and by the way, another world championship simultaneously at a different weight class. It's a very important moment, Daniel's career. Is that what Gaethje did? Because if you guys will remember after he got done with Khabib, and it was the single worst performance he had, Justin never got started. I went as far as to say timid. Can you imagine Justin Gaethje being timid? Well, yeah, that's that's what he looked like. He looked timid. He got outclassed greatly. got completely dominated. And then he disappeared. I would assume, based on other fighters I've seen, that he was down in the dumps. That he was drinking himself to sleep at night. That he's doing a poor me and his mom's got to throw an arm around him. I'm not sold that that's what it was. And I don't know what it was, but I think I'm closer. Those five, those six, those eight months where Gaethje disappeared. He was off of Instagram. He was off of social media. He was not popping into shows. He was gone. He was gone. Absolutely silent for five months. Do you guys remember that? It was eight months in that he finally pops into a show because they were doing it in Arizona. And the UFC's like, dude, this is your town. Come and get your pop from the, the crowd. He didn't say anything. He didn't do anything. He just showed up. Then he gets in there with Chandler. He's never looked so good. Never. The single greatest Justin Gaethje ever was Jason Gaethje's last performance with Chandler. Something had to change. How do you get better? How do you get better at something as you get older? How do you get better at something when the competition gets harder? When the stakes go up? When a number one contendership's on the line? When you're doing it in the Mecca, how do you get better? Got the same training partners. Yeah, you slip Usman in there somewhere along the way. He's got the same gym. He's got the same facility. Something is different. Justin is better now. Something happened. There was some kind of walkabout in the five-month gap when Justin Gaethje disappeared. I personally would like to hear all about it. fight that fans like you and I around the world cannot wait for, but another fight that has fans foaming at the mouth is Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson, and I think we should talk about it. So guys, deja vu. Every time Tony Ferguson is getting ready to fight, I fire up the cameras and I come and I tell you guys the same story. The same story about the time that I spent in the training room with Tony Ferguson. We're at the Rain Training Center in California. I have never seen anybody work like Tony worked. In my entire life, if somebody could outwork me or had ways or methods or good habits, I would steal them. I would see them. I would feel insecure about myself that somebody was doing more. And then I would go copy and do what they did. Everybody, from my wrestling days to my fighting days to jujitsu, whatever it was. And a lot of other people are like me, with one exception, which was Tony Ferguson. It was too much. He worked too hard. I like. I remember having this conversation with my wife saying, if that's what it takes to make it in the sport, I'm not going to make it. 
There was a day, and this went day after day after day. We would have the hardest practices. Guys would be sitting down. They'd be crawling, crawling to get to the showers, get dressed, and get out of there before the next session. Tony would line five guys up on the wall. He would set the timer, which would go off every five minutes, and he would just stay in the middle and spar. He would stay in the entire time, and he would not stop until those five guys that had roughly 20 minutes of rest in between rounds with Tony, they'd quit. They would get so tired, even with five minutes on and all the rest of the time off, while Tony was staying in the middle. One day I go, okay, you know what? I don't know what all he does. I know he does that after practice, but I don't know what else he does. I'm going to stay. I'm going to sit on the side, and I'm not going to leave until Tony leaves. I'm going to see what he does on a daily basis. Now, he did everything that I just described. He did the full Rain Training Center practice. He lined up the five guys. He stayed in as they rotated MMA rounds. But when it was done, he went over to the heavy bag. And again, this same timer would go off, and he would rest for 60 seconds, and he would punch and kick and beat the hell out of the bag for five straight minutes. And he did it so long one day, so many rounds, that Mark Munoz, who ran the gym, popped his head in, saw what Tony was doing, didn't know how to make him stop. I swear to goodness, and Munoz turned the lights off in the room. That is how he got Tony to leave. And I've always wondered if that was something that like Mark Munoz had to do every single day. Every single day he had to come. Tony, that's enough. That's enough. Tony wanted to quit and he had to turn the lights off. I don't know the answer to that. But the one day that I was there, that is what happened. And it was the only thing that got Tony to stop training. Now, Ferg just came out and did an interview regarding the Chandler match. I don't love this match. I am interested in it. I am looking forward to I don't love the match because I don't know what they're fighting for. I can't come and tell you guys what's on the line. This is not going to affect their ranking. This is not going to affect either guy's standing in the promotion. One guy's ranked five. One guy's going to be ranked set, right? Like nobody's going to move in the ranking. Nobody's going to get closer to a championship. I don't know what they're fighting for. They don't appear to have a personal grudge. These are just two names that we know that happen to weigh the same thing that are going to go and fight. Okay. All right, fine. I like it. I said, I don't love it. I don't love it. I don't get it. I don't know what it's about. I don't know what's on the line. It's one of those really interesting matches. Like, why are we here? What are we doing? Now, Tony weighed in on it. Tony is well aware within the interviews that he gives in the media that his last performances are not the Tony that we are used to. Now, he talked about it. He said, I've got to get back to my wrestling roots. As a matter of fact, I've even brought in my old coach. Just to remind you guys, Tony was a national wrestling champion in his collegiate days. So he went and got that same coach who's now in his camp and working his ass off, and that's what Tony said. He's getting his wrestling timing, his wrestling conditioning back. Now, whether you like that as an idea or you don't, that's a completely separate conversation. This is what Tony said he did, but he said why he did it. This was peculiar. Tony said that in his training for MMA, he has never been able to be at his best within the practice room. Because he knew there was always something mysterious about him. Something that the world, including the opponents and their teams, were not aware of. And that Tony was not comfortable doing those techniques in the practice room because he didn't want his inner circle to see it, there to be a leak within the inner circle and that information get out. What do you make of that? What do you make of that? I've never in my life been in a position where I held back in the practice room for fear that there was going to be a mole and or a leak that was going to put something out. Is that good, bad, or indifferent? Is there nothing to see here? Mm, There's something to see. 
there's something to see because I've read a million fighter interviews over time. I've never read that. I've never heard that. And what is different now about the team? Tony made it sound in this interview as though, for the first time ever, he can be himself in practice. He can take his strategy and the plan that he plans to bring and invoke against Chandler, and he can work on it every day. What's different? Is it more trusted, guys? Did he just get over that? Did he accept the fact that maybe the word's going to get out to hell with it? The good doesn't outweigh the bad. It's better to work on these techniques than to have the techniques. I don't know. I don't know. Like Sometimes with Tony Ferguson interviews, it's hard to get through it all. It's hard to decipher, right? Like there's a fine line in genius and insanity. Tony is on the line of genius, but it's very different. Like the drum that he marches to is a different beat for sure. I do like the idea though. I do believe if Tony can keep this fight standing, it is a very different fight. I do. I think if Chandler goes out there and tackles him and puts him down, And the only thing Team Ferguson has to hang their hat on is some elbows from the bottom and a little bit of a tricky jujitsu game. I don't think it's enough. Not in 15 minutes. I don't think it's enough. So I like the mindset that Tony has. I don't know if Tony plans to take Chandler down or if he's working on his wrestling purely from a defensive standpoint. Either way, if he succeeds within his goal, it does up his chances. Can we agree on that? Okay, guys, we have reached the portion of the show where I give you my official predictions. That's coming up next. I'm going to tell you who I think is going to win between Cowboy Cerrone and Joe Lazan. That and the rest of my predictions in a moment. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsors. The Calf Slicer. The Peruvian Necktie. The Banana Split. There are a ton of ways to come out on top in the octagon, and for UFC 274, there's one more. With DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. New customers, bet $5 on any fighter to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. So choose your fighter, then sit back and watch the action unfold. Anything can happen on fight night. But the DraftKings Sportsbook, you've got a sure thing for UFC 274. Bet $5 and get $150 in free bets if your fighter wins. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use the promo code CHAIL. Throw down $5 on any UFC 274 fighter to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code CHAIL. This Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Guys, our show sponsor today is from my new favorite cryptocurrency, Marshall Anu. As the first sports-based cryptocurrency, Marshall Anu donates Ethereum, a popular crypto coin, to amateur and professional mixed martial arts athletes giving them and their team the support they need to pursue their goals. Founded by a team of crypto experts, the code behind the MRI token is published on Etherscan and has been publicly verified and audited by two of the top cryptocurrency auditing firms, Solidity Finance and Certic. For a list of answers and common questions and the project light paper, check out marshallanew.com. 
My official prediction for Cowboy Cerrone versus Joe Lazan. I'm taking Cowboy, guys. It's an interesting match. So, right, Joe Lazan's a pain in the ass for multiple reasons. And it's not just because he's a really good fighter. Joe Lazan has a different mindset. And there's nothing that you can do to get it. It's given to you at birth. It's like it's like this magic wand, right? It's like part of your DNA. Almost every single fighter that ever fights at this level is directly associated with fighting, with what they do. It is their identity. They're going to be up or they're going to be down. And Lazan's just not one of those guys. Go ahead and kick his ass. He's not going to have a bad day tomorrow, right? I mean, he's just one of those guys. And there's a lot to be said for pressure. And there's a lot to be said for caring less any relationship, it does not matter if it's combative, it does not matter if it's romantic, it does not matter if it's business. Whoever cares less has the power. I'm not talking about go out there and be careless, but if you can care less than your opponent, that is a very helpful thing. And I'm just sharing for you, like Joe Lazan's day is not going to be ruined come tomorrow. If this is his last fight, which it's going to be the last for one of them, right? I personally, I have a different hope. I hope that they're both done. I really do. I love to see somebody go out on top, and it's so rare that we get to do it. I was on the Army with Clay Guida prior to getting caught in this knee bar a week ago. I was hoping Clay Guida wasn't going to fight again. And I think that makes me sound like a little bit of a jerk to say it. It's not at all how I meant it. I love for a guy to go out on top. It's just not how you're wired at all. There is no fighter that's wired that way. But if you look at the history of combat, there's only two fighters that have gone out on top. Lennox Lewis, George St. Pierre. I'm not putting Mayweather in that category yet. I'm not sure that Mayweather's done. But I'm only bringing that point because I would. I, I understand that the loser is leaving town. I understand that's crystal clear. That's a marketing standpoint. That's a fun thing to say, loser leaves town. It puts a ton of pressure on guys, and it does add to the match. Now, it's for sure a match that we're not going to miss. We will tune in to see a guy have a celebratory moment. We'll also turn in to, to have a guy have a, a, a dagger stuck right through his heart, Right? One of those situations, I just don't have a problem with the loser retires and the winner retires. But it is one of these things when you're dealing with Lazan. He does not care. Not to that extent. You're not going to hurt his feelings. You're not going to bring him down. Whatever Joe plans to do Saturday night, just by example, he's going to go have the fight. Then whatever, whatever he plans to do. Post-fight party, go to a dinner, go up to the room and order some pizzas and whoever comes over comes out. Like whatever that plan is, is still going to happen regardless of the outcome. And not everybody's that way. Some guy will cancel the party. They're going to the room. They're not leaving. They're sitting through a pity party for themselves. That would be normal. Joe is abnormal. He's different. But guys like that won't go away. Most guys, if you go out and you stomp them in the first five minutes, you've now set the tone for the evening. If you beat them in the first five, you're going to beat them in the next five. You're going to beat them in the next five. Everybody gets up and goes home. He's not that way. You're not going to frustrate him. You're not going to make him quit. You're not going to break him. I do think that Cowboy has the stills to go out there and hurt him, to start plotting away, to start getting the kicks and getting the hands going. Cowboy has incredible takedowns. He has incredible submissions. If you go look at Cowboy's record, because all of you think of Cowboy as the striker, right? You really do think that. Go back and look at his record, and you might come to a different opinion. I don't know. I've never told uh, tallied him up. But he has more sub. It would shock you how many people Cowboy Cerrone has submitted from all positions. He's done it with, with, he's done it with chokes. He's done it with arm bars. He's done it from the back. He's done it from the guard. Like, it, it, it's really 
quite something to see how well-rounded Cowboy Cerrone is. Now, Cowboy has been very open to tell everybody there's two Cowboys, and it isn't the physicality. It isn't within the preparation or the training. It isn't within the coaching. It's within however I feel that day, and I've worked my entire life to have control of that emotion, and I don't. I do know it. I know it when I walk out there. I'm Cowboy speaking, right? I know it when Bruce Buffer is saying our names. I know regardless of the look I've got on my face, I'm either in a certain zone or I'm not. And I get it. I get it. I had the same thing. Every time Cowboy talks about it, I get, and a lot of other people do too. It's one of those things, right? You always have coaches, I, I, get psyched up. Are you excited? Are you, like, they'll throw this thing. I hear, I, when, I, when I coach kids, a lot of fathers will do that. They'll literally come and say that to their son, to their wrestler. I will hear that exact, get psyched up. I don't even know what it means. You will never get psyched up. But if you try, if you try to do that, you sure as hell will get psyched out. It's one of these things. It's an emotion you can't control. If I could control my emotions, guys, I'd be happy all the time. That's it. I wouldn't need and then fill in the blank. I wouldn't need anything. I'd just be happy all the time. And you guys would too. We can't control our emotions. What are you going to do? You could do your best to control them. You can have a night that you loved and then attempt to duplicate it. Whoever's in your corner, you redo it. Whatever music you walk out to, you redo it. Whatever you ate for lunch, you attempt to redo it. Like there's things that you can do and you could try to duplicate that to the best of your ability. But in all fairness, Cowboy Cerrone does not know which cowboy is going to show up. Is it going to be Donald or is it going to be Cowboy? He doesn't know. He doesn't know. I can tell you, contrary to what Cowboy believes, both Donald and Cap, both of them are a pain in the ass. Both of them are a very dangerous guy. Both of them can get their hand raised against anybody. Both of them can do it with knockout or do it with submission or go to the decisions. But there is one that performs a little bit better than the other. This is an extremely unique position, right? Cowboy's never fought for his career before. Very few guys ever have to fight for their career. I could name on one hand the amount of matches that Dana White has put on that he stated prior to the contest, this is it if it doesn't go your way. Very unique spot. So how are you going to respond to it? We don't know, guys. That's the real answer. And you might say Cowboy's going to be at his absolute best. You might turn out to be right. But you can't predicate that based on something that you know ahead of time. You've got to just say it and then live with the result, right? I mean, everything's going to be really clear in hindsight. I am guessing that Cowboy is going to rise to the occasion. I do believe three rounds is very favorable to Cowboy. If you go back and you want to look at the matches that Cowboy choked in, I don't like that word. I really don't think Cowboy's choked. I don't. I'm not as hard on Cowboy as Cowboy is on himself. I'm taking his own words. But if you want to look at the matches that he underperformed, not outcome-based, performance-based, they were main event spots. It's not because Cowboy can't go 25 minutes. There's something about that. There's something about that build-up. There's something about that pressure. That is removed. Now, I will come back to the 25 minutes because it's harder than hell to do, and he has done it well, and now he's only going to do it for 15. That, again, lessens things. So in many ways, you have a moment that is not the height. It is not walking into an arena sold out, and you're about to face the sport's biggest star named Conor McGregor. On another way, is there any situation that you could have, whether it was a main event, whether it was a title fight, is there any situation you can have that is more dire than perhaps your last? 
Is there any more stakes that could possibly put on this and any more weight that could possibly put on Cowboys back? Probably not. It's a big one. It's a lot. But I know how much this means to him. And I know going out the right way. And I know the preparation. And I also understand the placement on the card and the three fives as opposed to five fives. It does change the atmosphere. Again, if you were to just go back, historically speaking, you don't have any information on it, you just go to Sherdog and you just look at Cowboys records. If you look at the ones that win his way and win his way in dynamic fashion, they would more emulate this setting, this placement, and this scenario than they were if he was the last fight of the night, there was millions of dollars, and there was a title up for grabs. My final analysis, I'm taking Cowboy. My official prediction... Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. Guys, I'm taking Chandler, but but hold on because there's something else being tested here. This is the only fight of the night. This is the only fight of the night where this is not a contest about who wins and who loses. It's about not, not about knocking somebody out. It's not about controlling them. It's not going to a decision and seeing that you gain favor with the judges. It's really not. Michael Chandler not only must win, and I'm predicting he does, he must absolutely dominate this fight. That is a 100% true statement. Now, I think that with his skills, he's likely to do it. I forget that Chandler lost his last fight. I have to remind myself constantly that he lost to Justin Gaethje, right? It was one of those things, and I do bring that up. Because if you get beat, you go into a little bit of a rut, and you start to question yourself just a little bit. Like, there's some stuff that you kind of got to work through. You kind of got to shake off. The training camp's just a little bit different when you're down. Getting to the arena, signing the autographs, usually signing less autographs because you get at Like, everything's just a little bit different. But I don't know that that rule pertains to Chandler because the performance was so damn epic. Like, I had a coach, and he wasn't the coach that just always tried to lift everybody up. But he did make a very fair appointment when I was a kid that sometimes you don't lose. Sometimes you just have less points when time runs out. That is 100% what happened to Chandler in his fight with Gaethje. Like, there was no loser there. There was two absolute studs. Now, I only bring that to you. I only bring that to you because Tony is playing a different game. Tony Ferguson does not have to get his hand raised. As a matter of fact, I mean, let me just lay out a scenario for you. Tony Ferguson goes and gets his ass kicked for 10 minutes and lands a finish. Whether it's something on the jaw and he knocks him out, he throws up a triangle and he taps him out. If he gets his ass kicked for the duration of the fight, regardless of the outcome, Tony's going to fail the test. Right? Everybody's getting tested. Particularly the veterans. The newer and the younger guys, it's, it, it's a completely different litmus test. Can I look good? Can I be exciting? Can I get a pat on the back from Sean Shelby on my way out the door? Will Dana know what my name is when I leave? Do I get a fight next time? Do I get a move from jerking the curtain closer to a main car? Like, like, there's a different test. But when you're an established veteran and you're a spot of Tony, which is extremely unique, which is you go from the best in the world, Tony Ferguson was planned, it ended up falling apart, to headline Madison Square Garden against Khabib, and it would have absolutely sold out. I mean, in all fairness, Tony had such a special point in his career. He hasn't just not only won a fight in a period of time, he hasn't won a round. Now, this is not a kick Tony session. I don't bring that up to open an old wound. I bring it up so that we can be very clear. If Tony goes out there and he wins a round, he's done a good job. In the fights that Tony lost as of recent, in fact, let me be very specific, Benny Darush uh, and Charles Oliveira. Tony was losing the takedown game. That was a huge surprise. 
We didn't know that people could just go take Tony down, right? I'm going back to the Oliveira fight, but we also didn't know that Oliveira even had that takedown. Like, it was a surprise. Oh, wow, I'm surprised that that happened. And then Tony's ability to scramble was also taken away in both of those fights, which was a little bit of a surprise. Like, oh, what, what happened here? Haven't seen that before from Ferguson. Now, Ferguson acknowledges that. I read an interview this morning by Tony Ferguson, and he brought back his old wrestling coach, who he had in college. I should remind you, Tony Ferguson was a national champion in college. If you guys don't know what the Junior National College National Championship is about, it's the same title that Dan Henderson held. It's the same title that Chris Weidman held. It's the same title that John Jones held. It's the same title that Curtis Blades held. I mean, I could go on and on. It's, it's very hard to do. you got to be very good at wrestling. Tony is. Tony won it. Now, I'm only bringing that to you because he was getting taken down. That was a little bit of a surprise. So when we're looking at Tony and we're judging him, I mean, he's safe. Dana White said as much. Dana White was talking about Cowboy versus Lazan. He said, yeah, this is a loser-leave-town match. One of them is, is going to be making their last time to the octagon. But then he also weighed in on this fight specifically. He said, no, that's not at all what's on the line. Don't even think you have to bring up their records to me. Don't think you have to tell me how many they've lost in a row. They've only fought absolute studs. They fight their heart out every time. No, of course, they're both top 10 guys. They're going to remain top 10 guys, and they're completely safe. Okay, fine, but there's still something at stake here. It is important that Tony can show us, the audience, that he can fix some of those deficits, specifically grappling. And at no point in Tony's career has that ever been discussed. I mean, he has no deficits in grappling. Many people thought he was going to be the guy to stop Khabib because he was so tricky with the elbows from his back because he could throw up a submission. Am I right? You guys remember this narrative. So when Tony got taken down, it was a surprise. But when I talk about it being surprised, if it was a surprise to us, that means it was a surprise to Tony. So you give him a little bit of a pass. None of us knew Charles Oliveira was as good at the takedowns as he turned out to do against Tony. Well, if we didn't know, then Tony didn't. So you give him a little bit of a pass. Okay, you weren't expecting that. We weren't. We weren't prepared for it. One of those things, rinse and repeat, you go do that for a few rounds, you get up and the judges raise the other guy's hand. Still got to solve the problem. And Tony has absolutely acknowledged that there's a problem. He's acknowledged that he's trained and brought his old coach back in. He's acknowledged that he's trained. He's going to switch things up. Now, when you talk about wrestling, guys, you don't have to be great. You absolutely do not have to be great at all, all facets of wrestling. There's only two in the sport of MMA. You got to master one of them. I believe, just by example, the greatest offensive wrestler our sport has ever seen is George St. Pierre. I believe the greatest defensive wrestler that our sport has ever seen is Jose Aldo. You could be a national champion. You could be All-American. You could be Chad Mendez. Jose Aldo pop his hips in and knock you right back, not get taken down. Now, I only bring that to you because what part of it is Tony working on? If Tony thinks within a training camp he can sharpen his wrestling enough to go out and take Michael Chandler down, we just wasted our time. If Tony brought in his coach and worked on wrestling specifically to not be taken down, yeah, he could fix that. He could. He absolutely could. And now you're talking about a stand-up battle between Tony and Chandler. You're talking about Tony, who's very diverse, who's going to throw punches and bunches. You're talking about Michael Chandler, who's going to hit you harder than hell. Can't, are you tough enough to stand there and take it? it? Right, it turns into a very different fight. All predicated on the notion brought to us by Tony himself that he needs to change the way that he wrestles. And I'm bringing you guys a very good point. If any of you are young fighters and you're out there and you want to go work on your wrestling, if you're spending 50% of your time on offense and 50% on your defense, stop. 
Pick one and put 100% of your time on it. Either be really good at taking somebody off their feet or be really good at not getting taken off your feet. If you get one of those down in wrestling, as far as it pertains to MMA, it's enough. It's enough. Stop right there. Don't waste your time drilling offense and then drilling defense. Just pick one. Be able to do it against anybody. Now, these are the tests that Tony's going to have. There's probably been a number of fighters who haven't won a fight in a period of time. There's probably been a number of fighters who in not winning those fights also did not win a round of those fights in a period of time. But there's only one that the media selected to put a spotlight on, and it's Tony. So now that becomes Tony's reality. All of us are now aware of it. I never would have connected those dots. I would have just thought, well, Tony hasn't won a fight since. Fill in the blank. Somebody within the media brought up he hasn't won a round that he's lost five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven rounds. He's lost his last eleven. That's relevant. I mean, if, right? If the media does that, you know, all of a sudden they're looking at it. The other side of the coin, if you want to be fair, is if you just win one, right? You got you got three rounds. You got three opportunities. If you could just grab one, you've done better. So it's a it's a different test that Tony's against. We don't want to see anybody, including our heroes like Tony Ferguson, violate the number one rule of this game, which is protect yourself at all times. But it has been 11 rounds since we've seen him protect himself. It's one of those things. It's a very tough spot. And you can look at it from a negative standpoint, or you can look at it in the way that I'm at least intending to make it sound, which is a real positive, that we don't have the same pressures on Tony out here. He wants to go out there. He wants to get victory. That would be a very glorious moment. Not very many men alive can get the jump on Michael Chandler. I'm just not putting that on Tony. I'm not. I think there will be other things to celebrate if. If he takes Chandler down, and I mean even one time, if. He stops Chandler's takedown and keeps it in the stand-up, even if he loses that battle. There will be something there to celebrate. There will be something there to hang your hat on. But we're going to need to see it. We've changed up the training. Feels great. I can attest for you personally because I saw it. It might have been years ago, but he works hard and he's always in shape. Just the question is, did Father Time catch you or not? The past 11's rounds say it might have. Those were pretty damn good competition, which is what Dana White spoke to. There's no threat here of having a, a career lost. But the fight has to be about something. And why the 10 other bouts on this card are about victory and or defeat, I don't see it this way. I don't see it this way for Tony. I think he can have small victories within this fight. I think that those can be recognized and celebrated, but he's got to go out and do it. And that's the nicest I can say it. My official prediction, Thug Rose versus Carla Esparza, part two. And guys, I feel like I really need to tell you that I have never seen a championship match more underexposed. Underpromoted? Is that the word? Under-talked about? What term am I? I'm going to go with exposed. I've never seen one more underexposed than this one. How come? Why is that? And it does put you into a, a pretty interesting position. I mean, in all fairness, I, first off, I got to remind you that it's a rematch. A lot of people don't know that. I've had that just in casual conversation with my fellow colloquials that have argued with me and told me they've never matched up before. Yes, they have. Not only did they match up, Carla won. Not only did Carla win, she won pretty easily. Wasn't Was not that hard of a fight for her. Now, I only bring that to you because let's just imagine that Rose wins. 
do we go to a trilogy? I mean, unless this fight is absolutely spectacular, the answer is no. I don't think. I don't feel like we do. And you can give a breakdown. You can give an X's and O's. And there's plenty of people out there that will attempt to do that for you. I, I favor the intangibles. When you have two really successful athletes, it does come down to intangibles. It isn't about who's got the reach, who can get inside, who can work the body and slip, who can come up top. Like it's, it's not about that with the great ones. You are splitting hairs. You want to talk about who's a better fighter or whose black belt is blacker? It, it doesn't come down to that. Who wants it more? Who has more passion? Who has more reason to win? Who's got more at stake? Who's got more to risk? That is the person that is going to dig deep, and that is what wins championships, not skills. Skills are good for one round. One round, everybody's tired and everybody's hurt. Now you're in the tough guy business. Now is where there was intangibles. Now is where working through something, solving problems, figuring out. Two plus two is not four in MMA. Somebody grabs your neck and you come to the hands and you pull it up and you tuck your chin in. That, that's, no, uh-uh. That's kid stuff. That's a kid's grappling tournament. In MMA, you get stuck in a position. There's no right way out. You figure it out because you want out more than they want to keep you in it. That's what it comes down to. It is about intangible. So as I give you a breakdown for this fight, you're not going to hear me talk about the wrestling of Carlos Barza, which from a technical standpoint is absolutely what separated them in their first contest. You're not going to hear me talk about that because I didn't have a goddamn thing to do with it. Who wants this more? I will share with you. I don't know that this has been explained to the audience. I feel like a lot of pieces of this fight have not been revealed to the audience, including the fact that it's a rematch. But I will share something with you that should impact you in some way. This fight is not happening because Carlos Barza beat everybody in front of this fight. is not happening because Carlos Barza had some great call-outs. This fight is not happening. Because the rankings committee, whoever that is, every morning at 9 a.m. and somehow put Carla, a, a beautiful number next to Carla's hand. This fight is happening because Thug Rose demanded it. That's relevant. Now, Carla did everything she needed to do to put herself in this position. Make no mistake that Carla wants this. She wants it bad, and she deserves credit. If you were once the champion, you get knocked off your pedestal, and you claw your way back. And it takes you four years just to get in a position to be given an opportunity. You're awesome. Right? Carla Esparza qualifies as awesome. That is special. She is a special competitor to have come this far. So make no mistake about how bad she wants it. But there is something interesting about the person who came in second demanding, I will put it all on the line. I didn't have anything to put up the first time. I had a name and a dream and that was it. Okay, that's what most people are fighting for, fair enough. But now you have a reputation. The greatest female fighter of all time is willing to put it on the line against an opponent from the past. The current world champion is willing to put up the most coveted prize in our sport, which is the belt. She's willing and demanding this specific opponent. I mean, when you want to talk about intangibles and you want to talk about who wants it, I think that that's pretty compelling. Right now, now, now want in one hand and wish in the other, right? I get, I get the old expression, be very careful what you ask for. You just might get it. We still are going to come down to an excess and old question. Does Rose have the ability to stop those takedowns? Since 1993, right, you guys tired of hearing me say this, since 1993, the only thing that still carries over. Guys, it's true. I, I, can't, get, I can't quit saying it. It's not going to stop being true. The only thing that carries over from yesterday to today, 
from decades ago to current time, the only position and technique that you saw Hoist Gracie do in 1993 and you will see current world champions do today is to take somebody down and hold them there against their will. You will win the fight. Time and time again, rinse and repeat. Does not matter who a better fighter is if you can get position on them. I mean, it's a big risk by Rose. But Rose is very aware. She understands these things. She is prepared for these things. She has proven in her fight. You want to know who a damn good wrestler is who doesn't get a lot of credit specifically for her wrestling? Wei Li. She truly is. And Rose had to work through a couple of things, but she did. And those rounds were not the same. And the later in the fight, it started to change. And you got to championship rounds and you found out who the champion was. I mean, there's a lot of things here that do point to the ability that Rose has solved the problem. But overcoming anything from your past, it's a hard thing to do. A lot of us would like the opportunity, and a lot of us wouldn't. A lot of us do have that boogie monster in the closet, the kid from up the street, the big brother, the bully, the kid that time on the playground. Like, we have that boogie monster, and we don't want that one back. We don't want to go back to that. That was a bad moment. We don't ever want to discuss it again. We hope that nobody knows about it. Like, that, that's a real piece of the psychology, too. That's not Rose. That's not what this fight is about. This fight for Rose, willing to put absolutely everything on the line. Her contract, her finance, everything changes if you've got the belt or you don't. She's bringing it all. This is the ultimate game of poker, and she is completely in. Just for an opportunity to right what she views as a wrong from half a decade ago. This fight is completely about the intangibles. I do think that Carla Esparza is going to take her down. I do think that Carla Esparza is going to win the first round. I don't have a huge prediction for you after that. I do think that Rose is going to make adjustments, and I do think even within the practice room and with the fighting that I've seen from her, that she has made up for what we could view or even call a deficit in the wrestling department. But you've got to shake that off a little bit. I've seen that within her career, too. I do think that Rose she kind of uses that first round. We call it a feeling-out process. I don't love that term. But I do think that there's a lot of nervous energy. I think there's an urgency for a takedown. I think that Carla's going to be explosive. I think Carla's going to find her. I think Carla's going to get her down, and Carla's going to win the first round. So now we're having a discussion about the next four. And that's where it starts to get really interesting. And you do not want to get on your uh, stuck on your feet with Doug Rose. Like, she has a lot of power. You think that's a sweet little 115-pounder? You think that's a sweet little 115-pounder until she puts her shin across your head and you wake up asking people, what happened? Where am I? It's very interesting. Like th This is the match to make. Carla Esparza, for sure, is the number one contender. Carla Esparza, for sure, is the best wrestler in the division. That's only argued when Tatiana Suarez is around, which, by the way, she happens to not be around, so it for sure goes... To Carla, like there's a lot on Carla's side here. And I'm not only saying there's a lot on Carla's side, I'm picking Thug Rose. I'm not only saying there's a lot on Carla's side, there's history on her side, there's the fact that she's done it before. I'm also spotting her around. I am very sure, if you can find a prop bet somewhere, I never tell you what to do with your money, right? I don't want that kind of responsibility. I would tell you, you need to give a good look at that. You wanna know who's gonna win the first round of this fight? Carlos Sparza. You wanna know who's gonna win the fight? Thug Rose. My official prediction, Gaethje versus Oliveira. I'm taking Oliveira. Oh, and by the way, 
before this video ends, I might go Gaethje. I have never, since 1993, my junior year in high school, when I skipped the one and only class of my life with my buddy Jeff Williams and went down to a video store and rented a VHS of something called the Ultimate Fighting Championship, I have never been more on the fence. And I get it that I'm wrong all the time. I get it. You guys even call it the Chael curse. I, I'm so bad at predicting fights, but I feel it inside. I'm certain that I'm right. The veins come popping out of my neck and spits kind of, and how dare you disagree with me? And here's my argument and historically speaking, but I really do feel it. I really do feel it every single time I tell you that. Guys, I have the foggiest idea. Here's what you don't know. Let me, let me give you a peek behind the curtain. I have been sitting in this chair for 11 minutes before I pushed the green button. I literally said to Miss Emma, reset, I'm not ready. Because I didn't know who I was going to pick. I'm going with Oliveira. Here's my own hypocrisy, okay? I think this is a stand-up fight. And I also think a stand-up fight favors Justin Gaethje. I'm going with Oliveira. How does that make sense? I worry about Gaethje in the later rounds. I worry about Gaethje and the Gaethje who has more heart that John Anik refers to Justin Gaethje. You want to talk about heart? John Anik refers to Justin Gaethje as your favorite fighter's favorite fighter, which is true. Like there's only been two guys in history that the fellow athletes looked at with a respect going, man, I wish I could fight like you. Big Nog. Big Nog could come from behind. Big Nog could get hit by a train. It didn't make a damn bit of difference. He was coming at you. Big Nog and Justin Gaethje. It's the only two guys that go into that criteria. And the reason I bring that to you, you can't fit that description that I just laid out of having heart and having grit and being everybody's I wish I was this tough if you fade. It is 100% the definition. Most guys will reveal that fade 90 seconds in. It doesn't matter if you do it 90 seconds in or you do it 19 minutes in. If you give up, you give up, and you don't go into the category of Big Nog and Gaethje that are two of the guys that fight with the most grit and heart in the history of our sport. But I do worry about Justin Late. That's true. I have only seen off the top of my head, in the UFC specifically, Justin Gaethje go into championship rounds. Again, this top, top of my head. You don't have to correct me. One time, and it was against Tony Ferguson. I firmly believe nobody was more surprised at the performance and the outcome that Gaethje had, the 91, the championship over Ferguson, than Justin Gaethje. That's okay. I think that gives credit to Gaethje. I think when somebody thinks, I'm up against it, I haven't had time, I'm short notice, I'm not prepared, this guy's so great, it walks out there anyway, they deserve credit. When they walk out there and they overcome because they're such a competitor, I think they deserve extra credit. So when I say that Gaethje surprised himself that night, it's actually meant to shine the wheels of Justin Gaethje. And he held up just fine. I fully admit, rounds four and five, he held up just fine. I felt as though he faded. His heart was there when he was thrown, but he just didn't have that energy with Alvarez and with Poirier. That's what I feel. And I do feel as the fight goes longer and longer, it could be an issue in a purely stand-up fight. I encourage and I plead with Team Gaethje every time he fights, go get a takedown. Just one. Just go grab a takedown. Do it with 40 seconds left. 
Nobody very good gets submitted in MMA, period. Nobody, even the bad guys, gets submitted with another guy in his guard. Broad stroke statement, but it's fairly true. And nobody gets submitted with only 40 seconds on the ground. Like Hoist Gracie himself would tell you that jujitsu is not designed in 40 second increments. I mean, in all fairness, I'm laying out a pretty solid plan. Go tackle this guy with a minute left. Keep him down there. Get a couple of deep breaths. Learn to do what Conor McGregor calls manage your energy. I like everything that I'm saying there. I just don't believe any part of it that Justin Gaethje is going to go do it. I think he's going to go and trade, and I think he's going to get hit a lot. Justin Gaethje's stand-up, contrary to what you feel about him, Justin Gaethje's stand-up is not as good as it is fun to watch. He is not an extremely dynamic Muay Thai fighter, by example. And I say Muay Thai because it's kickboxing with elbows and knees. That's what you can do in MMA. You can use any point of your body, including the elbows and the knees. So your stand-up turns into Muay Thai. He's not as good as you might think. He's just tough as an old leather boot. He does not give a damn about getting hit. He's marching forward. He's coming at you, and he's going to hit you back repeatedly. Justin Gaethje's kicks are not as technically... Right, if you brought Henry Hoof in here and go... Judge Justin Gaethje's kicks. Oh, and by the way, compare that to, say, Edson Barboza's. Henry Hoof is going to say there's no question. Edson Barboza's kicks are much better. But if you brought Henry Hoof in here and you said, tell me anybody per capita of size that can do more damage with a leg kick than Justin Gaethje, Henry Hoof's going to go, oh, no. It's it's Justin Gaethje. Like, he, he makes it work. And I only bring that to you because... Can Gaethje put Oliveira down? Yes, I think so. Can Oliveira put Gaethje down? No, I don't think so. I don't. I think you guys would agree with that. But again, I said I'm predicting Oliveira. How come? It's an accumulation game, for sure. Oliveira has shown heart and grit. Oliveira is a new guy. Oliveira, on top of the world, does have this momentum. He is out righting the wrongs. Justin Gaethje has no wrongs. I've also never seen a better Justin Gaethje than the last Justin Gaethje I saw. And I should bring to you, there appears to be something where Justin's angry. He really does. The way he's speaking and the chip that he has on his shoulder and the fact that he once held that championship and he doesn't anymore. I mean, this is a man on a mission. I, I don't think I've given Oliveira a compliment yet, have I? When I compare it to Justin, why am I picking Oliveira? It just feels as though there is something to that dynamic ability of Oliveira. It does seem as though, if you were to talk about the entire body of work, which I do think favors Justin Gaethje, you got great striking with wrestling. Historically speaking, that's a better recipe than great striking with jiu-jitsu. I mean, that, that is the day-old question, and people are going to fight back and forth on that. But if you wanted to go from 1993 on, great striking with wrestling, right, the Don Fry approach has a lot more wins and a lot more championships than the great striking with the jiu-jitsu. But Justin's not going to use the wrestling. He's going to throw it out. Guaranteed. Everything I just said, you go take him down. There's a minute left. Get a couple of breaths. He's never done it. He's not going to do it in this one. I'm extremely confident in telling you that. If I had any level of confidence, some kind of an inside knowledge. I talked with Coach Whitman just by example. We're going to go take him down. I would tell you it's going to be Justin Gaethje. I would tell you to bet everything that you can get anybody to bet, but he's not going to bring those skills. He's just not. Justin's extremely stubborn. 
So what's Oliveira going to do? And there is a big question on that takedown, guys. Whoever gets the takedown in whatever round they get it in is going to win the round. If Oliveira gets Gaethje down, Oliveira will keep him down. Whether the horn goes off and that's what brings him to their feet or he keeps him down long enough to steal the round absent of whatever else consequential might happen. Whoever gets a takedown in a round will win the round. I'm telling you, Justin's not going to go for any and Oliveira just might grab one. Oliveira's wrestling is not as good as Chandler's, but his transitions are pretty slick. He will surprise you. He will keep you guessing. And Oliveira's not going to go through a plethora. He's not going to go through eight and nine and ten takedowns the way that Chandler, myself, somebody else with a wrestling background would. He's going to go for one. He's got very long arms. And when he chooses to wrap those around your butt and your hips and suck you in, it's hard to deal with. And even if he only does that one time, he's now one round. He only needs three. It's interesting, guys. I'm staying with Oliveira. I am not going to make a compelling argument as to why. I'm not. I realize that I haven't. He is a little bit more dynamic. I do not worry about Oliveira as much in the later rounds. There's always drama around Oliveira as it pertains to the weigh-in. I know the scale's beaten him twice, and it might have beaten him three times. But I also feel like that was old, young Charles. I feel like there's something brand new and fresh here. And if I'm going to talk about things that John Anik said, that's another point that John Anik brought up. That was a kid, this is a man. My official prediction. For reasons unknown. For unspecified reasons. Charles Oliver. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you have a great time watching the fights tomorrow night. And guess what? I'm going to drop a bonus episode on Sunday where I will give you guys my immediate reaction to UFC 274. Are we going to have a new champion? Be on the lookout for that. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.